everyone, and welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, today we continue a series we started a few weeks ago called Vital Questions. And um, as I begin today, some years ago, Southwest Airlines had a ad campaign you might remember called Wanna Get Away. Do you remember that? And in those commercials, they would kind of feature an embarrassing situation that might occur uh, that would bring us immediately to the place where we think we want to get away. And then they would offer a getaway deal. Well, I, I, I thought I would just bring you down memory lane for a second and let you see. So let's watch. Want to get away? Now you can. Check this out. With this controller, your character will mimic your exact motions. See? Sweet. Now throw me a pitch, just like we're outside. Want to get away? <laughs> now you... Want to get away? Now you can with Southwest fares as low as $59 one way. <laughs> well, do you remember those? They're fun to watch again, aren't they? Um, and I think the reason we like them is because every one of us know that there have been times in our life when we want to get away. And maybe something that we do is embarrassing or, or frustrating. But you know what I've also discovered? Sometimes we want to get away when life gets tough. Have there ever been those times when life turns south and darkness comes and heartache comes and difficulty comes and you just wish you could get away? Well, we're looking at questions that we sometimes ask that the Bible offers some insight to. And, and today the question is, is, uh, is simply uh, the question, how can I get out of this? And that is a question that I think we ask from time to time. And the psalmist actually asks and answers that question in Psalm 55. Now, that's what makes Psalm 55 a real fun chapter. Because not only does he ask the question, but he actually answers it. Sometimes in the Psalms, we'll find the psalmist asks the same questions we do, but not really offer a, a direct answer. But in this Psalm, he offers an answer for it as well. And so I want you to turn with me to Psalm 55, and we're going to look at this psalm together. Um, I, I read a story this week about a doctor, a psychologist or psychiatrist, who was actually a, um, uh, a university physician. He worked for a university, and he really got to a place where he wasn't handling the stress and the pressures of life and the challenges he was facing very well, and ended up getting into the use of drugs. And, um, and so a casual use of drugs led to uh, an abuse of drugs and to an addiction that literally cost him 
his job, his position, and ultimately uh, cost him his, his license to practice as a physician. And at just the lowest point in his life, um, he came to faith in Christ. Someone led him to faith in Christ. But, but even though he had come to faith in Christ, he still wanted to just get away. He wanted to leave. And he, and he thought that the best answer for me is to just move. And it's easy because I've lost everything anyway. And so he decided that he was going to move to California. I'm going to go somewhere where nobody knows me, far away from the state that I'm in and the city that I'm in. And, and as he began to make arrangements to do that, he, he was struck by the, the, the thought. And the thought that kind of came to haunt him was the thought that if I do go through with this and move, every time people think about Dr. Bob, they're going to think that I'm in California still using drugs. And he said, you know, I, I want to prove to those people that would think that, that I've changed, that I'm not the man that I was and that I've worked through that. And so he made the decision to stay in the town where he was and to work through the challenges that he was facing and to overcome. And he was able to do that through months and months of help and therapy. He was able to overcome his addiction to drugs and, and regain his position. And after a couple of years, was even able to be reinstated and get his medical license back and able to prove without leaving the town that I have changed. But you know, as I listened to his story, as I read his story, I thought to myself, all of us have been where he is at one time or another in our life, and we wanted to just move away. Maybe it's because of the hurt that you have experienced or the challenges that you have faced. But Psalm 55 offers some help in that area. And, and in fact, it's for that reason that it's relevant for us today. It's the story of one man, David, whom I might mention to you that th this is a good point to mention that the Bible refers to David as a man after God's own heart. It's, it's always encouraging for us to remember that when we see David so boldly share his failures and the difficulties that he encounters. And we're going to discover the challenges that he has in chapter 55, even though he's described as a man after God's own heart. It's the story of David and the result of deep hurt and betrayal and despair that happens in his life that brings him to the place where he just wants to run away. The story behind the psalm is recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 15. It's the story of the rebellion of David's son, Absalom. And Absalom worked with some others to actually orchestrate a coup to take over the throne of his father. And so David's heart is broken that his son, his very son, would challenge the throne and and would go to the extreme that he went to to destroy everything that David was about and had built. And in addition to that, there was another friend that David had who 
had been a counselor to David, one of his closest companions. This was a guy that David had confided in. This was a guy that David had sought his counsel. This is a guy that as king, he had actually listened to the counsel of this man and applied it to his life. This was a dear friend. And the friend took sides with his son. And the depth of hurt that David felt was intense. It's one thing for an enemy to stand against you, but it's another thing when the wounds come from the hand of a trusted friend. And David had found himself in a place that he never dreamed he would be. How in the world could I be in this place And in this psalm, he describes his situation and then comes back and offers a solution. So two things we're going to look at together today. The first is the situation. And I want you to listen as we read through the psalm. And and I want you to listen for David's heart. See if you can kind of see where he's at in the struggle as it begins to unfold and the honesty of it in chapter 55 of Psalms. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. It begins with that plea of God, please hear me. This is a point when I can't afford to to pray and you not listen. Please hear my supplication. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I am surely distracted. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, they bring down trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Behold, I would, I, I would wander far away, and I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hasten to a place of refuge from the stormy wind and tempest. He continues to struggle with these who were against him. And in verse 9, he said, Confuse, O Lord, divide their tongue, for I have seen violence and strife in the city day and night. They go around her upon her walls. The iniquity and mischief are in her midst. Destruction is in her midst. Oppression and the deception do not depart from her streets. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. And I think verse 12 and 13 are powerful. It's not an enemy who approaches me. Then I could bear it. Man, I get it if you're an enemy. And you say those things. I get it if you're an enemy and you do mean things. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But it's you. A man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. How could you do this to me? It's not like it's an enemy. It's not like it's a person that hates me. It's a person I trusted. It's a person that I've invested my life in. It's family. And look at what he says in verse 14. And we had sweet fellowship together. We walked in the house of God in the throne. God, we were in a man's Bible study group together. 
We were accountability partners. We went to church together. Not you. As he continues to struggle, let death come deceitfully upon them. Let them go down alive to Sheol, for evil is in their dwelling in their midst. And then he turns the corner in verse 16. Look what he says. As for me, as for me, I shall call upon the Lord. I shall call upon God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. I will redeem, he will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me. For they are many who strive against me. God will hear and answer them, even the one who sits enthroned from of old, with whom there is no change and who do not fear God. He who puts forth his hand against those who were at peace with him, he has violated his covenant. His speech was smoother than butter, and his heart was, was, was war, and his words were softer than all, yet they were drawn swords. He's describing the things that were said about him and, and, and said by these his friends. But then finally he said, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken, but you, O God, will bring them down to the pit of description. Man, men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. In the passage before us, David just opens the door and allows us to recognize his situation. And as he describes the situation he is in, he uses these powerful words, I am restless, I am oppressed, I'm I'm troubled, terror within me, wrath and hate, fearful, trembling. I'm afraid and I don't even know why. I'm trembling, I'm hurting inside. There's a pain in my gut. The terrors of death are upon me, horror. Beyond his wildest imagination, David never dreamed that he would find himself in that situation. And it kind of sounds familiar. Because there have been times in our life and maybe times in your life now when you are in a dark spot. You never dreamed you would be where you are in the heartache that you are facing today. And, and the challenges that David faces are the challenges that you face And everything in you wants to just fly away. I I wish I could just take on the wings of a dove and fly away, just go to a a forest and, and, and reside in a hiding place. I want to get away. I've discovered that in the world we live in today, there are three basic ways that people get away. There are three escapes that we have a tendency to embrace. The first one is, is we leave physically. We, we, we run away. There are some of you that have run away in life. You got to the place where you were tired of the th- things that you were facing. I, I don't want to go on like that doctor. You faced the situation and decided you just want to run away from it all. The only problem with running away is that we go wherever we are. When I get wherever I'm going, I usually discover I'm there. And I've discovered that running away is difficult because 
I end up where I'm running. I can't escape myself. And that becomes a problem for us. But many people choose to run. Have you ever run away? I did. I ran away from home when I was about six years old, I think. I don't know what happened, but my mom and dad were being unreasonable, I'm sure. And they were asking something of me that was just unheard of and, and shouldn't have been asked. And I knew better the way that life should be lived than they did. So I just decided I was going to run away. And I even announced it to my mom. I'm going to run away from home. I thought mom would just break into tears and she pulled out a suitcase. She literally pulled out a suitcase and said, well, I'll help you pack. And I thought, well, okay, I've already gone this far. So she helped me pack my suitcase and I got the suitcase packed and she gave me a little hug goodbye and sent me out the front door. And I walked out the front door and there's just, you know, we lived in a rural area and so there's some woods in front of the house. So I just kind of walked out in the woods and sat down under a tree. I didn't know what to do next. I just knew I wanted to run away, but I hadn't thought about really where I'd go or what I would do. Nonetheless, I found myself under a tree somewhere and, and I guess I sit there and sulked until I got hungry and I got hungry enough. I, I went back home to eat and forgot all about it until I realized I'd left a suitcase out in the woods, had to go back and get the suitcase. But I think probably all of us have run away at one time or another in our life. Some of you have really run away, though. Maybe like the prodigal son in chapter 15 of Luke who came to his dad and says, I'm sick of being under your rules. I'm done. You've got all the answers, and I don't have those questions. So I want you to divide to me the portion of the inheritance that's mine, and he literally runs away. And the problem with him running away is that he had the same problem that most of us have when we run away. Wherever he went, he was there. He ended up in a far country, and he was there in the far country, and he began to recognize that he couldn't run from himself. But there are a lot of people that want to run away, and some who literally pack up and run away. There are some folks I've discovered that don't run away physically. They, they run away through alcohol or through drugs. That's become a common way for us to escape today, and the availability of alcohol and the availability of drugs today makes it easy for us to, to find a way out. And there are some of you that are here today and, and are probably in the throes of addiction. You may not even know you are, and it's simply because you started out trying to escape. I just need to relax. I just need a, a, a moment to take my mind off things. I need to, to be able to rest. I need to be able to sleep. I need to be able to escape. And, and, and you begin the downward spiral of addiction. And you discover that running away through alcohol and through drugs isn't the answer either. It's kind of like the homeless guy that was in New Jersey that said the only way that a poor man could escape Hoboken is through a bottle. There are some people that think the only way that they can escape the problems they face is through drugs or through alcohol. And you find yourself in this downward spiral only to discover that when you come out from under the influence of alcohol and drugs, the problem's still there. And so you need it again in order to escape again and you become addicted. And then I've discovered that there are also those who run from their problems and the way they do is they actually commit suicide. They kill themselves. Every one of us in this room knows someone who did that. Just as I've told you that running away is not the answer to our problems, 
And just as I tell you that alcohol and drugs are not the answer to our problems, I can tell you that suicide is not the answer to your problems. In fact, having stood with families and walked through the experience of suicide and see what it does and the devastation that it caused to families, I've come to recognize one truth with regard to suicide. I believe suicide is a permanent answer to a temporary problem. It's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. The reason I say it's a temporary problem is because every time I've stood with families and every time I've stood at a funeral where a person's committed suicide, you know what I always hear? If I'd have only known, if they would have reached out to it, if they would have told us, we would have been there for them. Those kinds of needs that they thought that there was no one there. They felt that nobody could help them. They thought they were all alone and that was the only option. And it's not your only option. It's not the only way out. There are people there that are available to us, but nonetheless, there are many people who run and the answer to their running is to take their life. People that feel that there is no other way to get out of the pain. And the pain is so intense and so great, there's no other escape. I've discovered that there are many people that appear to be on top of the world today when we, in reality, they are being crushed by the world. And David is here at a place where he says, I just got to get away. I, I, I can't take this. I'm not strong enough. I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to process this. Nobody understands. Nobody is there. And in a moment where he could go either direction, he offers us a solution. In fact, I think in the text before us, we have bookend verses. Verse 6 is that verse where David says, Oh, that I had wings like a dove that I could fly away and, and, and cast against that to the bookend is verse 22, right before the end of the chapter. Cast your burdens on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never, never allow the righteous to be shaken. In those two verses with the bookends, he simply says, God cares for you and there's an alternative to running David says, I've discovered there's an alternative to running. Instead of running away from the problems, you can run to him. And if you learn to run to God, then what you discover is that God will give you the grit to stand up to life. And instead of giving in to life, he will sustain you. And that's what David says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. The word sustain literally means to strengthen it's the word that God uses in the Old Testament to describe the way he takes care of the nation of Israel when they're in the wilderness for 40 years. They're wandering in the wilderness, and you remember the story, and you know how God took care of them. If I ask you, so well, he made manna fall from the sky, he gave them food, he gave them water, but that's not the only way he sustained them. God also sustained them because the Bible says that their shoes and their clothes never wore out. For 40 years, their clothes and their shoes never wore out. Now, that's, that's a miracle. If you ever go to Israel today, one of the things you're going to do while you're over there is go down and visit the Dead Sea. And if you go to the Dead Sea on the side of the Dead Sea, there was a community of people, and it's, it's a place called Kawamran, and there was a community of people who gave their life to actually copying scriptures. 
so that we would have the scriptures and they they poured their life into nothing but just copying scriptures every day so that we would have scriptures. And so there's a complex there along the banks of the Dead Sea where they used to perform their, their, their task and, 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 and accomplish their purpose, but they didn't live on the complex. They actually lived in caves up the hillside in the mountain behind this area. And it was really interesting when archaeologists began to, to, uh, to, to, to do their work around Quamran. That's where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. They began to find all kinds of artifacts and put together this community and this culture and what they did. But one of the things that puzzled them for a long time is that they found that there was these trails that led up to the caves where the people in Quamran lived. But along the trails, they kept finding these little bitty nails. And there were small nails, and there were just hundreds and hundreds of these small nails strewn all along the path, all the way up to these caves. And the archaeologists couldn't figure out what it was until later on, they were able to discover a sandal, a, level, a, a leather sandal, and discovered that the leather sandal had those little nails in it. And so what it was, these were the nails that were falling out of the sandals of the guys who were making their daily trek up to the mountain to sleep at night. And my point is simply this, they just went probably a mile every day back and forth and it just wore out their shoes and there's hundreds of nails along the way. But God sustained the nation of Israel so that 40 years they wandered around in the wilderness and not one nail came out of their shoes. This is a picture of God sustaining. He also used the word sustained to describe the way he took care of Elijah. Do you remember the prophet Elijah? Elijah, one time, God instructed him to go to a place called Zarephath, and he was going to find a woman there who would take care of him. And so Elijah shows up, the woman comes out to the well, and God instructs him, this is the woman. And so Elijah goes up to her and says, hey, uh, God's instructed me that, that, that you're the one that's going to take care of me, uh, and I'm going to be able to, to hang out with you guys. And so the woman says to him, it's kind of funny, she says, Listen, all I've got is a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour, and I'm coming actually right now to gather wood to make a fire to make the final cake. That's all I've got. And my son and I are going to eat that, and then we're going to die. And Elijah said, but God has instructed me to tell you to fix that cake, but give it to me. And if you give it to me, he's going to take care of you. He's going to sustain you. And so she does. She makes the cake. It's all she has. Can you imagine the angst as she kind of hands that final piece of bread over to Elijah and he eats it and she goes back thinking that all was lost, but she goes back to her kitchen and looks in the bowl and guess what? The oil in the bowl, it, was, it, it wasn't empty. There was more there. And she looks in the next bowl and the flour is still there. She's able to make another cake and another and another. And the whole time he was there, it's the picture of God sustaining him. And so what David says in the text is, listen, if you cast your burden upon the Lord, he will sustain you. He'll take care of you. Now, he doesn't promise that he's going to remove the hurt. Sometimes God sustains us in the problem. 
You see, sometimes we're asking God to get us out of the problem. He didn't get us out of the problem. He just gives us strength in it. In fact, I like what one person says. Whenever we pray, we need to pray, God, either lighten my load or strengthen my back. And let me tell you what I've discovered. In the course of my walk with God, most of the time he chooses to strengthen my back. Rarely does he lighten my load. But here's the practical word. There are two things that David does that I think are really cool. In verse 16, he says, okay, this is my situation. I'm, I'm, I'm in a place I've never been before. I, everything in me wants to run. Everything in me wants out of here. Everything in me thinks there's no way out. What am I going to do? And in verse 16, he says, as for me, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to call on the Lord. I'm going to cast my burden on the Lord, and I'm going to trust him. He says over and over again, I will, I shall call upon the Lord. I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. He says, I will call on God. I will pray. I will cast my burden on him, and I will trust him. He makes a decision. He makes a decision. There's a determination in his voice that says, I don't care what other people do. It doesn't matter how other people handle it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to call on the Lord. I'm going to cast my care on him. I'm going to trust him. That's what I'm going to do. Now, now listen carefully. He says, I will do this, and then he says this, and he will do this. So when David chooses to trust God, he's trusting that God, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to call on the Lord. I'm going to cast my care on him. I am going to trust him, and I'm trusting that he will, look at what he says, he will save me. He will redeem my soul and the peace from the battle. What he is saying there is this. I am trusting God that you're going to take the situation I'm in and you're going to make good out of it. I don't know how you're going to redeem this situation. I don't know how you can make this good, but I am trusting that you will take this dark time of my life and you're going to turn it around for your good, for my good, and for your glory. I I know that you will save me, you will redeem me, you will hear me, you will answer me, you will sustain me, you will never allow the righteous to be destroyed. I will call on you, I will cast my care on you, I will trust you, and I'm going to live like from this point forward. You are going to redeem the situation. You're going to save me from it. You're going to hear me. You're going to answer me. You're going to sustain me as you have your children in the past. Now, it leaves us with one final question. How do I trust him like that? How do I cast my care on him? And, and, and the answer he gives us is simply this. The answer is we pray frequently and fervently. Did you notice what he says? I shall call upon you and the Lord will save me. In verse 17, evening and morning and noon. Simple. When the pressures of life come down on you, pray. And what you pray is, God, I can't handle this. I can't do it. 
I need help. Now, I want to tell you what happens. In a little while, the pressures will mount again. And you know what you do? You pray again. God, I can't handle this. You're going to have to help me. Morning, noon, and evening. Here, let me tell you the problem. Many of you have cast your cares on the Lord once. You have brought your concern to God and you say, God, I can't handle it. I don't know what to do with it. And then nothing happens. And because nothing happens, you say, well, prayer doesn't work. God doesn't care. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. I want to tell you something. You don't cast your cares on the Lord by putting it on a piece of paper and bring it to the altar and leaving it here. That's not the way you do it. You can do that. You can bring in that piece of paper here and say, God, I'm going to give this to you. I can't do this on my own. I'm trusting you, but I'm going to give it to you. But I'm going to tell you something. Three hours from now, you're going to have to do that again. As soon as you walk out of here, you're going to face the same kind of heartache. You're going to face that same gut-wrenching hurt. It doesn't go away. And what do we do in those moments? We come back to him. Every time we face it, we come back over and over and over again to say, God, I can't do this. Morning, noon, and night. I love the way that the, the American Standard says it. Evening, morning, and noon, I complain. I will complain and murmur to God. Don't you love that? That we can be honest with God. We can say, God, I don't get it. This doesn't make any sense. This isn't fair. This isn't right. Why is it that the wicked prosper and the righteous struggle? It doesn't make any sense to me. And, and you know what he says? I'm going to complain to the Lord, but I, I, every time it comes to my mind, I'm going to bring it right back to him. But what is he doing? He's not running from it. He's running to him. And he is giving the burden to the Lord. And, and fervently and frequently he is giving it to the Lord. I can't handle this. Help me. Morning, noon, and night. What he is saying is this. Don't run from life. Stand up to it. When you're burdened, pray. When you're sick, pray. When you're afraid, pray. When you're disappointed, pray. Pray fervently. Pray frequently. And God will sustain you. I want to tell you something. In the 47 years that I've been a pastor, I've seen a lot of stuff. I've walked with people through things that are beyond explanation. I've stood with families who've lost their dad in an automobile accident, and they have small children and don't know what they're going to do next. I've stood with families who've lost their mom at a young age and have small children. I've stood with families who have lost children. I've stood with husbands who's lost wives, wives who's lost husbands. I've stood with people who have faced murder in their family. It makes no sense. I've stood with families who had to walk through murder, suicide in their family. I've walked with families who have faced suicide and attempted suicide. I've walked with people who have had cancer and watched their bodies just disintegrate to nothing. I've seen families deal with Alzheimer's and dementia and a person they love 
I've seen people lose their homes in a fire and everything's gone. I've seen them lose their home in tornadoes and everything's gone. I've seen them lose everything in a flood. And when I look back over all the stuff I've seen in 47 years, it's easy for me sometimes to despair. But let me tell you what else I've seen. In 47 years, I've seen God sustain people. I've seen him take them in the worst of situations where they face things that I don't even know how I begin to face that. And they have hope. And I stand there amazed that they have hope and they have confidence. Because in that moment, God gave them grace and God gave them peace. I have watched God sustain people in every one of the scenarios that I've mentioned to you. And it leads us to recognize that when everything in us cries, I want to run. <laughs> run to him. Run to him. And in him, you will be sustained. Some of you are here today and you are thinking about one of those three options. Well, there's a fourth. You can run to him. And that's the one that works. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today. I know that there are some in this room, and boy, this message really fits where they live because they're hurt, and the hurt in them is deep. And sometimes the betrayal is from family. Sometimes the hurt is from people that we thought we could trust, people that we love. And man, there's nothing like that kind of hurt. And it makes us question you. It makes us question everything around us. But today, we've discovered that, that as David, we can make a determination. We can say, you know what? As for me, I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. I'm going to cast my burden on you, God. I'm going to trust you. And I pray that in this room today, there will be people and those that are listening today will make that decision. For others that have never accepted you as Savior, Father, you love us so much. You came to earth to live and die that we could be forgiven and have a new beginning. And I pray for any who have never taken that step of new beginning that today would be that day for them. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.